Uh, it's great to be with you. I had a good feeling uh, just meeting people as I came into this church. That's a, that's a good indicator of what's happening uh, in a church when people are smiling and gracious and greeting each other. So sweet to be with you in your sweet church. Uh, it's precious uh, to have it the way you do have it. Just recently, uh, last weekend, I took the first Easter off from ministry that I've ever taken off. Uh, and I went, at, went to Nashville, where my son lives, and went to their church for Easter Sunday. Uh, of course, this is the sixth church that they are trying out. They're all church plants south of Nashville's Boomtown, all Californians moving out there. Uh, and so uh, we were to the sixth church in three years uh, of visits that I had visited, and I just want them to pick one, you know? Uh, but I go, and I always have my evaluation thing going. I can't help myself. Uh, what's going on in this church? What's it about? I, I really wish they would have picked the PCA church plant. I really pushed for that one, but the answer was no for some weird set of reasons. And uh, But this church, they've been to four times now. We were there on Easter. It was uh, 50 people in a uh, middle school, uh, very familiar, only they had a uh, sort of a stage and a theater kind of setting. And uh, they did a wonderful service. And... I felt the same feelings that I felt uh, here this morning. There's a lot of people there that love the Lord and want to serve Him. And uh, good, humble people. It's Easter, but they realize they're a small church plant just starting, uh, struggling um, with what that means. And But it was nice to be there. Funniest thing that happened was they had the typical greeting time. You guys didn't do a greeting time. You must have learned that people don't like that. Uh, But they had the typical greeting time. We do it at our church. Sorry, can't stop it. Uh, And we stand up, greet those around you. Uh, And so I stood up and I greeted the person across the aisle uh, from me. He was by himself. And I said, hi, I'm Marty. I don't live around here. Came to visit my uh, son-in-law. And he says, hi, I'm I'll just name him Sam. I'm Sam, and I'm a priester. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I come on Christmas and Easter. Uh, And I said, well, that's quite the thing to identify uh, with. Uh, So you are a priester. Way to go, I guess. Uh, Of course, the guy had no idea that I'm a pastor. And we like to go after priesters. (laughs) And show them the error of their ways. Uh, But the greeting time was cut short. uh, Because everybody doesn't like the greeting time. So we got back uh, together. But it was fun. And afterward, my son and daughter-in-law said, Well, what did you think of that church? And I said, This is the one. You need to go full bore. uh, Because they preach the gospel. uh, And they're humble and genuine uh, people. Authentic people. uh, uh, Gifted, for sure. But... Wonderful, good people, and uh, they're trying to build a church there, and and my son uh, might be best if he was part of a plant at the beginning stages, because he'll be forced to get involved. Uh, with a plant, you have to. Everybody's on deck. Uh, so uh, today I'd like to teach you a favorite passage. Recently taught it at my church, so I'm warmed up. 
uh, on this passage. I think it's remarkable the way Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it could be that Jesus taught all of the components of the Sermon on the Mount multiple times in multiple places in different contexts. It's very possible because the other gospel writers don't show a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but Matthew does. And this this magnificent thing that you could probably read it aloud in 15, 20 minutes. So it's a short sermon, shorter than I'm going to be uh, today. Uh, it's a short message but filled with such gravity and such heavy teaching for people who are exploring who Jesus is and possibly going beyond exploring who Jesus is, wanting to follow him. And then he comes to the conclusion, which is, um, which is more than just an encouragement. It isn't one of those sweet, inspiring stories. Jesus doesn't teach a story, tell a story about, well, I was off in Nashville and I saw a priester and I brought him to the Lord. There's nothing like that. Instead, he pounds them. You say, no, Jesus always teaches sweet stuff. No, he doesn't. Not to his followers. And so um, I'd like to go through this closing. It ends, the Sermon on the Mount ends with four contrasts. uh, Where basically Jesus is saying, pick one. You're either this or you're this. You're either going this direction, acting like this, or you're going this direction, acting like this. And all the way through it, you can ask yourself, well, what does Jesus want me to do? And uh, you'll pretty much have a good answer just by reading it. The idea that there's only two ways is all through Scripture, all through the Old Testament and New Testament. You read about it this morning, the, the blessed is the person who doesn't do this, doesn't walk in the pathway of these folks, but uh, but walks and meditates on God's word. Two ways, pick one. Um, I've been doing a long time, uh, all through the uh, COVID uh, pandemic, we've been uh, doing daily devotionals uh, for our congregation. And uh, we, I've always, I'm almost always doing something out of Proverbs because it's short and to the point and fits with a 15-minute devotional. And so um, I've been, I just spent a ton of time in Proverbs 15, just thought after thought after thought, marvelous. You know what? Every one of those is you can go the foolish way or you can go towards wisdom. And it's remarkably strong all through the Old Testament that God gives basically two ways of following him. Uh, and he says, pick, choose. And he pushes uh, a little bit. That's what you're going to see here. The other thing you have to note as you uh, will look at these four contrasts with me is that um, there's some dire consequences to all four of these contrasts. Dire consequences. He talks about the end of all time. Uh, when he talks about uh, the two paths, the wide path, uh, um, the wide path, as opposed to the narrow path, goes to destruction. Uh, when he talks about the false prophets, false influencers, bad fruit people, he says those trees get cut down and thrown into the fire. 
when he talks about the people who are great at professing their fealty uh, to Almighty God and uh, who say, Lord, Lord, I, and then he says, I never knew you. What happens to them? They're expelled out of the court. The last day, the consummation, they're expelled from the presence of Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't know you. To those are That's grave pictures there. And then the, the final one, which we'll spend less time with on today, because you knew it in Sunday school, uh, if you went to Sunday school, is the house built on sand, the house built on rock. The contrast there, again, is one of those houses, the dire consequences, when a storm comes, it falls flat. And so... I'd like to look at these, but it's a context here that I'd really like you to see that there's dire consequences with each one of these that happen to you and I. What, what is it that Jesus wants us to listen to? Uh, how are we to respond as he clicks through these contrasts? And that's what I'll be asking myself and you as we go through them. So let's look at the first contrast. I'm going to read the passage to you. Uh, not the whole passage, just the passage of the first contrast. It's seventh, uh, Matthew 7, uh, 13 uh, through 14, where he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is a simple contrast. Everybody's traveled. Everybody's traveled on easy pathways. In our, uh, in my community, there's a bike path called um, Iron Horse Trail. Uh, and people love to ride on that thing. But there's also trails that go up over the hills in Las Trampas and so forth. And way less people take those because it's easy to walk on the flat uh, and on uh, the, the paved uh, road. So we're all familiar with traveling. They all were familiar with a Roman road and how wonderful it was to walk on a Roman road. Super well prepared. It's way different to walk on a, on a path that takes you up and down and uh, all over the place. And so it's very clear. It's a sharp contrast. Um, everybody uh, could realize that what he is saying is probably true, that there is a wide and easy path, but he says it leads to destruction. And then here's the startling part. Many enter it. So there's this path that's wide and easy. It leads to destruction, but many enter it. And he he, uh, contrasts that with the hard path, the narrow path, hard path that leads to life that few find it. So there's these grave consequences. What does Jesus want you to do? If you were to apply this bit of Jesus' wisdom to your life today, what would he want you to do? He'd want you to enter the narrow and to walk the hard. That doesn't get preached real often in American churches. There's a much simpler gospel we like to preach, which is it's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to walk with him. It is just so fulfilling and such a blessing. Uh, to walk with Jesus, and Jesus here says, no, it's a narrow, as in exclusive, narrow, tight little way, and the pathway is hard. I think it would be a great and good question for you in a small group or amongst your friends to say, ask yourself, why is the wide and easy pathway so compelling, so attractive to the many? Why is it preferred by so many? 
I think that's a great question to answer. Uh, we church leaders in our community, we ask that. Why is our community so not interested in church and specifically our church? Um, because so few people in our, enor- in our enormous community there, over 100,000 people in the San Ramon Valley, less than 1% are in church today. Less than 1%. Lots of baseball games. Uh, lots of other, lots of different other things, but they don't feel compelled to be in church. They really attracted to other places, and it's the broad way. That's the easy way. But, but we're not going to answer that question. The big question I would like you to think about is this: Why is the narrow way hard? Why would Jesus call the narrow way the hard way? What's hard about it? Great question to think about. I think it's hard to see the pathway. He says few find it. It's hard to take it. It's hard to walk it. Hard to choose it. Hard travel. Here's what I think is going on there. See if you agree with me. If you choose the narrow way, you've chosen a radical place to be. If you choose the narrow gate and the hard path, you've chosen a radical thing. Radical because you'll be unlike the many who don't choose it. And that's hard on kids. It's hard on youth. It's hard on adults to choose what the culture generally does not choose, but to choose something radical and even exclusive. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's exclusive. People don't want to hear that. That's going to get you in trouble in your college course, your philosophy course. It's a radical choice because here's the other part of Jesus' call, and that is he doesn't want you to stay the way you are. There's some scraping that needs to happen, some chiseling, some squeezing off of stuff. Some stuff has to be left behind, and that's hard. It's life transformation that is required by this pathway. And so every value, every belief, every self-concept that you have, every identity that you have, every worldview is up for review, according to Jesus Christ. It's up for review and possible transformation. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ have to say, I got to look at my strong emotions, (laughs) because my strong emotions indicate an awful lot of what's happening in my heart. I got to look at, this was told to me recently in a small group, where, where this dear woman just shared way beyond the rest of the group. She shared uh, to us, hey, I just found out that I'm a judgmental, and she used some words I'm not going to use, I'm a judgmental, very strongly opinionated person who judges just about everybody all the time, and I'm harsh about it. Wow, way to go, lady. I want to encourage you. If the Spirit of God revealed that to you, then guess what's happening? You're taking a step, a giant step on the hard way. The hard way. See, stuff has to be scraped off. A couple of years ago, I bought this 2006 Corvette. Yes, it's red. 
a Corvette, and my friends say to me, how could you possibly buy that? You can barely get in it. You can barely get out of it. And I said, you're right, it's difficult, but I'm up to the challenge, because once I'm in there, it goes vroom, vroom, and I like that. And so I'm riding around this Corvette, taking just babying it, taking care of it. And one time I had to go out in there, and so I went to there and parked very carefully. Don't want any scratches or dings. I'm going to sell this thing. And so I parked very carefully. I go in, come back out, and here's this humongous pickup truck with the giant wheels. And he's parked, I kid you not, one foot away from my, from my driver's door. And I look at that, I'm able to open the door, and maybe there's a foot of light, and I, I need four feet uh, of light to wiggle around in there gracefully. And, and so I do what I have done before with this car. I decide I have to go in head first. And so I take off my bag, put my bag in there. I take off my heavy sweatshirt. I throw that in there. I'm loosening the load so I'm as narrow as possible. It's difficult. And then I put my head in, which puts my butt up. And my wife says, that's really not a good look on you. Uh, But I got to get in there. And so I squeeze in, scrape in, and then can get the car out. I believe that the narrow gate is narrow because stuff has to stuff has to drop off of you and me. It needs to be scraped off. Pride's a big one. Pride's a huge one where we think that we're self-sufficient, where we're we're self-made, where um, we have all of this going for us. So surely God sees all that we've got going for us, and He thinks we're wonderful. So we don't really have to work too much with God because we're already doing all the good stuff and we're prosperous and we're successful and we're doing the good things that are all around us. And guess what? Almost all that I just said there needs to be scraped off. You need to become totally aware that Jesus didn't come to save really good people. He came to save lost people. Who have no standing before the Father. None. No standing before the Father. We need atonement. We need mercy from God. Not a pat on the back from God. It's a big lesson to learn. To get squeezed in there. To drop the pretension that I have merit before God. To drop the idea that I'm good and sufficient. It's humbling. It's as humbling as me going head first into a car. Um, it's humbling because I know that I'm lost without the love of God. This changes you. If you appropriately go through the narrow gate, fully understanding what the nature of this gate is, the exclusivity of it, what the gospel truly is, it changes you at a core level. And if you don't have that change then you're going to do all kinds of weird religious things if you're a religious person. You're going to do all kinds of weird things with your life, make all sorts of choices that really belong on the broad way, on the wide. The wide way says you can think almost anything you want to think. You can have any value that you want to have. And everybody smiles and says, great, you're doing it. I listened to the latest TED talk of Elon Musk because I'm sort of a fanboy. 
uh, of Elon. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll get his car. But um, he, was, he was asked about his process, and I think he was being very open and vulnerable. I really enjoyed listening to this TED Talk. Um, would even suggest it for you. But he got to a point where he said there was a part in his life where he was studying philosophy and religion. And he was asking the big, big questions. What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why is the universe the way it is? Great questions. And then it seemed like he quickly switched to, th- uh, he switched the switch and settled on the wide way where he said, I think what I'm here to do is do good for mankind and leave the earth better than the way I found it. Good things. Never heard that one before. I hear that all the time in our culture, and we, we all praise that. That's wonderful stuff. And so there, now he's settled the big questions in life. No, he hasn't. He's chosen the wide way, and he's going to be a good guy on the wide way. You've chosen something else if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've chosen the Jesus way, and you've said, have your own way in me, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Show me myself. I'm willing to grow and allow this transformational process to happen. That's what I think the narrow way is. I think you're called to it. You and I are called to it by Jesus Christ. He says, enter the narrow way and begin the hard walk. All right, let's go to the, the second contrast. The second contrast are insiders. This is, this is people within our group here, our larger Christian group. And they are dangerous because of the way they are cloaked. And um, um, he says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, and this contrast is difficult because we've already mixed the metaphors. We got fruit, we got wolves, we got sheep, uh, and so you got to read the whole context there and understand what he's trying to compare. But there's no doubt about it: a sheep in wolf's cloth is somebody who is malevolent and camouflaged, and they're trying to deceive other people, and they're trying to do it in a way that you would never see it. Because what they really want to do is eat sheep. That means they want to take from the flock. And so it's brutal, hard that there's people like that. And so we get a big warning. But then he, he uh, changes quickly and he says, you'll, you'll be able to identify them by their fruit. And of course, fruit grow on tree. I got a fantastic lemon tree. Uh, I'm so happy to have this lemon tree because it produces all year round and it's great fruit. I give lemons away like crazy. My daughter has a lemon tree in San Ramon. She gets a dozen lemon year after year. I try not to rub it in, but I just bring her a bag of lemons uh, whenever we come by. You can recognize that tree by its fruit. I've got a great tree producing fruit. Yay. And my daughter has eh, a young, immature tree. It's not producing much in the way of fruit. Every, uh, Jesus said in, in verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a disease bear, a disease tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
And so you have, all, uh, he says, he talks about this, about us Christians in John 15 with the vine and the branches and that we get pruned. And if a branch does not bear fruit, then obviously it shouldn't be abiding in the vine. It gets pruned off and thrown into the fire, which sounds like end time judgment to me. And so he's, he is flipped around on his metaphor uh, all over the place. He is, starts off with wolves, and now he's talking about diseased trees and healthy trees and good fruit. What do you think that Jesus wants me to do about this and you? Through the multiple metaphors, I think what he's basically saying, fruit is the thing. Christian, fruit is the thing. Fruitfulness produced in your life is the thing. And if you are producing a fruit that's sour or diseased, that says an awful lot about you. Reevaluate. If you're not producing any godly fruit, then you should question whether you're attached to the vine, whether you're on a whether you are walking the hard path. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Here's some of the words that I put down when it comes to me looking for fruit in myself and in others, that there would be a brokenness before God saying, I need your salvation and I'm lost without you. Blessed are the poor in spirit uh, because they get the kingdom of heaven. Have to be broken before him. I like seeing that fruit in people. Humility, worship with in gratitude, true, honest-to-goodness worship. I, I love it when people say, I want to explain the word to you. This is what I found. This is what I'm, I'm finding out about myself. I love the fruit that I saw in this lady in the small group who said, I have to deal with this part of my life. And I'm just saying, amen, and you're an example to us all. That's fruit. That's good fruit that everybody wants to eat. Uh, and I think that that's what Jesus is saying. What do we do about this? We, we need to recognize the good fruit. We have to have the discernment, discernment not to eat bad fruit. Uh, because people are trying to influence us all the time. And I'm trying to influence you right now. Uh, and so you've got to evaluate. Is Marty a good influence? Is this good fruit? Or meh? or not and so that's what all of us Christians need to do we need to have that evaluation going on in our lives am I producing good fruit am I being a good influence every one of you are an influence to your children to your parents to those around you you are an influence and it's either producing good fruit in people's lives or it's not Uh, if it's not it gets cut down eventually and thrown into the fire Drastic, huh? We all influence. All right, let's look at the third one quickly, and then I'm almost done here. Contrast number three. Once again, it's an insider uh, that we're concerned about. Jesus is talking to his followers. uh, And he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's talking about talkers. Who say, Lord, Lord, verbal people who claim something uh, as opposed to those who do the will of the Father in in heaven. So people claim uh, allegiance, fealty to causes and ideals all the time and then don't back it up. What do we call that? Generally in our culture we call that hypocrisy. 
I don't know of anybody that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm looking forward to being a hypocrite today. Uh, but we all do it to some measure. We sort of celebrate it on social media when somebody is caught being a hypocrite. They might say, hey, I'm... Let's, we got to do something about global warming, and you guys do it while I get on my private jet uh, and fly over here to my yacht. And so we love to bust them. Um, but yet, all of us say things. We, we preach stuff, and then we don't practice it. It's a real problem with us pastors. I, I, I unfortunately get faced with that all the time. People like to claim, but we don't like to do Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Oh, what's going on there? Get the situation again? This is people in heavenly places before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ on that day. They're before the judgment seat. And they're saying... We called you Lord, Lord, and then did magnificent things, prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, did mighty works in your name. So therefore, you really like us, right? We've been bumping heaven all this time, uh, me and you, and now here I am, and so I expect I'm going to get a big greeting, but what does Jesus say to them? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's going on there? It's possible for Christians, you and I, to fake ourselves out. To deceive ourselves so much that we think we can do religion without relationship. That we can do big time religion where we call on the name of Jesus to cure things, to change things, to build things. And we're not really doing it for Jesus. We're asking for his power to surge through us. But we're really doing it for ourselves. We're really walking the wide path. And wanting Jesus to be a boost for us on the wide path. To give us extra success. Jesus says to this person, I never knew you. Isn't that great? Jesus is giving that illustration at the end of his message. He's launching into his His ministry there early in Matthew, and he's given all this strong teaching, and he's basically saying there's going to be people who totally mess this up. There's going to be people who call themselves followers and disciples of mine and will do all the magnificent things, but but I won't know them. I won't have a relationship with me, meaning they haven't gone through the narrow gate. They haven't given themselves. Uh, holy to Jesus Christ. It's only partial. To enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be both a sayer, a professor of faith in Jesus Christ, but that's easy. Anybody can say the words. But you need to be the, a sayer and then a doer of the words, meaning you say, what do you have for me to do, Jesus, almighty God, and I will do it. I will gradually adopt your ways and adjust my life and then apply your word to my life and do it. Very hard. Extremely hard. It's a hard path to do these kinds of things. They're transformative. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's the thing that I have found. In walking this hard path, 
My walk is not over yet. There's more walking to do. But our Father takes us uh, to high places on this hard path. You won't get to these places. You won't get to these vistas on the wide way. You won't see God in all his mighty glory changing people's lives. You just won't notice it because you're on the Broadway. But God takes us on these incredible journeys, the narrow way, and he takes us to vistas and heights where we get an idea of who he is and who we are, what his purposes are for this world. And Christian, you can be a part of that. You can feel it and know it. That you are a part of something far greater than just what's going on on good old solid earth here. You're a part of what God is doing. That he is somehow magnifying himself through this whole creation, this whole salvation plan, and this whole deal where it will come to a crashing halt at the glory seat of Jesus Christ. And we will know from head to toe who we are and who he is. And we'll fall down and worship him. And because we have walked the hard path, we'll be prepared for it. Jesus is not ending his sermon in a gentle, inspirational, um, heart-pounding way. He's ending it with a push. I visualize Jesus uh, taking his audience and giving them a great big old push in the back. And he's basically saying, Fisher, cut bait. Get off the fence. Follow me or not. I'm going to push you right to it. What does he call us to do? I think he calls us to enter the narrow gate. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's a radical life alteration. We need to be pushed through that narrow thing where we'll be squeezed in there and stuff will start to fall off of us as we become more and more like him. He calls us to the narrow gate. He calls us to produce good fruit as we try to influence others. He wants us to influence others. We're called to produce good fruit in our life. And finally, we're called to be doers of the word, meaning that just like that beautiful story of building your life on the sand or on the rock, the one who built their house on the solid rock, the foundation, was one that heard Jesus' words and did them. That's the distinction. Then you're ready for storms uh, to come and hit you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for um, for Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for this word that, that you gave to those people. And I don't know if many of them followed you or not. It seems like not many of them did. But your call is still out there, and your call comes to us 2,000 years later that we are to enter the narrow gate. That we are, too, to become people very interested in the fruit of our lives and how we influence others. And that we need to be very much people who are doing the things that we learn from your word, not just learning them, doing them. So, Father, help us all in this. Help. We want to follow you. We hear your call. And, Lord, we want to follow your call. Help us with it, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.